Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with Jillian Sidoti. Jillian, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I've had a lot of fun uh, just chitting it up, chatting it up before the uh, show here and uh, really just laughing, honestly, enjoying life. And I know we're going to have a lot of fun today. We're going to serve some people. So, so what do you say about that? Welcome again to the show. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. And uh, I just want to be able to give anybody whatever advice they need, you know, when it comes to raising private capital or, you know, life in general, if I can be of service. Absolutely. Well, I want to welcome Elevate Nation back because it's time to take it to another level. We're going to absolutely raise the bar today. I want to welcome you back to the show where our mission is to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally to achieve greatness in real estate and beyond. And we're going to talk habits, you know, mindset, routines, systems, tools, strategies, and so much more from an individual like Jillian. So you can elevate to a life without limits like she's doing like so many others are doing as well, you know, through the vehicle of real estate, through the commitment of constant never ending improvement through personal growth. And, you know, the combination of those two factors, which can really give you anything that you want in your life. And so this is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through real estate investing and ultimately in their lives. If you're enjoying the show, we certainly would appreciate if you subscribed, if you gave us a, a rating, a five-star review, certainly is appreciated because you know what, that helps us reach our message to more people. Our, our goal is to reach millions of people with this message so you can live a life of fulfillment, of joy, of excitement, of adventure, really, which is everything is out there for us if you claim that. So with that said, I wanna introduce you to Jillian Sidoti, who is an attorney, a speaker, an entrepreneur, a mama and a former <laughs> college professor forever focused on finding the best and least challenging path for entrepreneurs to find, find funding for their deals. Jillian has written equity and debt offerings for all kinds of industries, including real estate, biotech, film, software, alcoholic beverage, cannabis, and green tech. Jillian's client list includes Grant Cardone, Than Merrill of Annie's Flip This House, Tariq El Musa of Flip or Flop, uh, David Goss, Nipsey Hussle, Bigger Pockets, Intisu Bio Biologics. Biologics. Oh yeah, that's, that's a, a fun one. one. Inside to Biologics, yeah. Oh, okay, that's <laughs> a tough one. And BioLife 4D, as well as CF Capital, with myself and Brian Flaherty. So we appreciate everything Yay. that Jillian does. And Jillian is also the author of the Crowdfunding Myth: Debunking the Myths Surrounding Crowdfunding. As a public speaker, Jillian offers fun and relatable content that leaves the audience with a deeper understanding of the legalities of and psychology behind raising capital. Her signature talk, Private Money Rockstar, draws from Jillian's previous experience in the music industry with the intention of empowering the entrepreneur to be a money-raising rockstar. She's a founding partner of Crowdfunding Lawyers LLP, established in 2014, and their clients have gone on to raise over $4 billion in capital uh, for real estate. So with that said, Jillian, again, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself more behind the bio. Uh, so yeah, like I said, I actually was in the music industry. We ran a record label. I had actually one point in time dropped out of law school so that I could pursue this dream of being in the music industry and we were completely undercapitalized. Um, and it didn't go as planned. Um, even though we had some major successes, we always were like a little behind the eight ball in terms of having enough money to do anything. Even if we were making money, we had we didn't have enough money to 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 accomplish what we wanted to accomplish. So I ended up going back to law school. And when I got out of law school, I uh, got into real estate development um, and started doing condo conversions down in San Diego. Um, and that's when my eyes were open to this whole new world of, you know, not using your own money, but to find other people's money to leverage and, and not just build wealth for yourself, but build wealth for those around you as well through um, using your time and resources and talent and using their capital. That's awesome. That's a, that's a really interesting and unique story of how you got interested or, or really involved and committed in real estate. And it's so interesting as well because you're chasing your passion of 
being in the music business and then maybe practicality set in and you're like, wait a minute, we don't have, we don't have the money or the resources. So then you found a new solution for that in sort of a roundabout way. So talk to me more about that situation. I mean, were you feeling a little bit like you, you, you were maybe didn't want to do that pivot or how did that, how did that scenario go down? I think I was just tired. You know, we had been, uh, what ended up happening, what was the moment, the breaking point for me was we were, uh, we had broken down in a place called Memphis, Nebraska in our, in our tour bus for like the, the 20th time. Like this, I mean, we were just constantly band-aiding everything we did. And um, in, in doing that, I finally just said, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to live off the dollar menu at McDonald's anymore. Um, Cause that's, essentially what we were doing and, uh, and, and wanted to have a different life. Um, that wasn't, you know, you know, it's a different type of poverty. I don't want to, I don't want to insult those who are actually in poverty by calling my situation poverty, but you know, eating eating off the McDonald's menu, I had a, a poverty mindset. Well, or at least I started getting a poverty mindset. Um, and I was eating terrible food. I wasn't healthy. I, you know, I was super stressed out. I was always worried about money. Um, and if I knew then what I know now, I think things would have been a lot different. And I do have, I mean, it, I know this wasn't, a, this isn't a show about like lamenting on your past, but I do have a lot of regrets about that. I wish I just knew things differently. And I guess everybody, everybody in the world, every adult, everybody who's well past 40 can, can say they have one of those moments in their life. If I knew then what I know now, things might have been different. Right. Right. And I was having this exact conversation with someone else today, just about mindset and and how important it is. And especially mindset along the lines of wealth or, you know, the the other side of things. You you just mentioned a poverty mindset. And I firmly believe, you know, that 80% of your success in anything is your psychology and and 20% is the mechanics. So it's really interesting that you were able to look back and say, wow, you know, I, I, I had a poverty mindset. So I'd be curious to know if you would sort of describe that and maybe go into a little bit more depth of what that was for you and what, what is a poverty mindset? Well, a, a lot of it comes down to like just not taking the appropriate risks, being penny wise, pound foolish. Like for example, you know, I, the reason why we got ourselves into that situation in the first place is I bought an, uh, an RV off of eBay for $1,500 that was penny wise, uh, but it was it turned out to be pound foolish because we ended up broken down um, in multiple times in the United States and Canada um, because I I didn't spend the upfront money to 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 make it work in the right way. So I was just constantly, like I said, bandaging a wound that kept bleeding. Um, uh, that's just one of the many many ways that you can end up having a poverty mindset. Now. I, I've always been an incredibly optimistic person. Like we're going to figure this out. And we did that entire tour. We did, we figured it out. We got, we, we were like, okay, you know, like, like our, our spirit was never broken until finally I just thought, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be, I don't want to have, I don't want to be constantly worrying about what money we have. I don't want to, I don't want to say like, okay, we're not going to um, eat well tonight because we don't have enough money. I want to, and uh, look, I, I, I got I to gotta put some things out there before I go any further, just to be very clear. I am a white, educated woman who grew up very well and didn't grow up poor at all. And so I don't want to confuse this with, you know, the young inner city kid or, uh, you know, who doesn't see a way out. And I don't want to confuse this with you and the kid in Apple, the, the kid in Appalachia who got shoes for the first time when he was five, you know, I don't want to confuse any of what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about like not really trying to solve problems, but solving them with the wrong solution. And that's what I constantly did. My solution to my problems was to charge it on my credit card at the time. And if I had known I could put together an offering, I could go out and raise capital. I could, I could, I could talk about the virtues of our business and what we've done. And, and my brain and my husband's acumen for music that we could, we could really build a business here. And if, had I done that, 
um, I probably wouldn't be talking to you today. So there's not a lot of, um, you know, regret in the sense that that didn't happen because I have a, like everything kind of turned out great as it is. But um, had I thought about what are our virtues and what can we offer and are we worthy of somebody else's money, it might have been different. And that's what I see a lot with raising private money now is people go, I don't know anybody. I can't raise any money. I can't do this. I like it's a lot of I can't um, instead of trying to find out how we can. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a real estate investment firm formed by myself and my partner, Brian Flaherty, where we invest in multifamily real estate communities across the Southeast United States. If you'd like to learn more about our approach, our mission, our acquisition criteria, and how you can learn more about future opportunities, visit cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com. Yeah, how we can. And just, you know, switching your mindset on what I don't have versus what is possible. And in, in my opinion, the more that I learn about this concept, the more I recognize that anything is possible if you allow yourself to believe that and to commit to that and surround yourself with folks like yourself, you know, who not only share that mindset, but also have the tools and the tactics and, you know, the, uh, the approach to help you do that. Um, who, yeah. who turns your mind on to the fact that abundance was possible or, you know, was it just through the pain of that moment that you just figured it out through your own process or how did that, how did that happen for you? I don't think I, I didn't have, like the funny thing is, is I don't think I didn't have an abundance mindset. I did think like that I could have all these things. I just think I took the wrong approach to things. Again, not looking at all the possibilities of how to make things happen. And I thought um, a huge part of it is I thought I had to do it on my own. And I probably, that was my biggest downfall. I thought, and I I still do this to this day to a certain extent. I thought I had to put it on my credit card. I had to pay for this. I had, like, I didn't make any, I didn't even go to a bank to see if I could get a loan. I just was like, I got to figure this out. I got to go work a $10 an hour job and save as much money as possible. And then put as much money back into the business as possible. And that's just, you just throw in small amounts of cash at a problem. It's like trying to make payments on, you know, $200 a month payments on a $500,000 home. You're never going to, you're never going to dig yourself out of that hole by yeah. doing that. No, that's, so. that's so true. And just the shift in thinking to realize that not only is there more out there, but there's other people who benefit from this as well. You know, there's other yeah. people who want to participate perhaps in an opportunity, maybe the bank would have loved to given you a loan to earn some interest, you know, and so you, then you could leverage that. And same goes with real estate investors. You know, you see this all the oh, time where it folks. Goes, they, it goes doubly, doubly oh, yeah. for real estate investors because there's yes. doctors out there who are not going to stop being doctors so that they can start real estate investing, right? They're right. just not. Uh, and and you're, you're providing them with an opportunity as much as they're providing you with an opportunity, if not more so. Mm-hmm. Because you can always get more money. And that was something I didn't realize at the time, of course. Um, but you can always get more money. You cannot get more time mm-hmm. and uh, you just can't. And you might not. And in a lot of these professionals who want to get into real estate investing, um, who are killing themselves, trading time for money, doctors, lawyers, uh, you know, scientists, whatever, highly educated people who make a lot of money in what they do are trading time for money. You're giving them a solution to not trade time for money anymore. Well, not only is it a solution for not trading time for money anymore, but it's also a solution for, you know, all the tax advantages. And, you know, I mean, it's, you know, they may still be very passionate about being a doctor or whatever profession that your investor or partner is in. But, you know, there's so many other benefits. And I think if we open our mind to that to say, wow, well, you know, it's like I I, I had this conversation with someone recently where, you know, zero percent of zero is zero. And, you know, if you can give someone else an opportunity to participate, yes, of course, you're going to have to give some away. But guess what? Everyone gets greater opportunities because of that. So I think it's really exciting. And, and one thing you mentioned uh, in terms of your own journey was that you recognized that you didn't have to do it alone. And, yeah. you know, along the path of, you know, becoming an attorney and doing what you're doing now, obviously, you know, your greatest clients, I would imagine, have the greatest team. So, Talk to me about yourself as a team member and your team as a team member of your clients. I mean, 
you know, what are some of the biggest issues that sponsors should be aware of as it relates to crowdfunding in the current legal environment? Yeah, I think the thing that people don't realize is that the the state securities boards and the SEC's number one priority is to protect investors. Um, and it might not seem like that's what they're doing all the time, and I get that. Um, but that is supposed to be their number one goal. And so if you're not adequately being, if you're not being a good steward of your investors' capital, then you're a target for those um, entities. You know, so you have to be a good steward of your investors' money. And that might mean bringing on people to assist you with that um, in the terms, in, in the sense that you can't do it all. Um, and I tell people this all the time. I talk about the team that you need to be, to put together. And I always put this slide up and I put a bunch of different roles on the slide, you know, CEO, marketer, investor relations, bookkeeper, attorney, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I put all these roles up there and I ask people, you know, what is the biggest, what is the most important role? These, these roles are all rules that you need in order to raise capital effectively. But what's the most important one? And no one ever gets it right. And the answer is the bookkeeper. If you don't have great books and records together for your investors, uh, for the CPA to do their job at the end of the year to get the tax returns done, for, for your investor relations person to make out the report, to, to put together the reports to the investors, uh, it, it's all for naught. I could do an amazing job putting together legal documents for you. Um, and this has happened on more than one occasion where I do a great job and the issuer just screws the whole thing up by not putting in by not reporting to investors regularly, by not being a good steward of their money, by not keeping good books and records. And it all starts with keeping good books and records. So if you're not a good bookkeeper, that's not in your wheelhouse, um, then you need to find somebody to do it. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, I taught accounting and finance for years at the University of Redlands. I wouldn't trust me for five minutes with my own books because I'm not going to do it. I don't have time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm just not going to do it. I don't even do my own. Like one of the things I, I have a friend of mine who does my, my personal books and we haven't updated in a long time. And I literally begged her this week, please can we get this done? Because I haven't done it. I don't yeah. keep up with it. Um, so stuff like that, you know, that's, that's, that's the kind of thing you really want to think about when, when raising capital is, is yeah. putting together that team because if one of those things, you know, if you're, if you have this balancing act, yeah, I always think of the plates spinning on the, on the sticks. Yeah. And if you, if you let go of one of those sticks, you're going to break a plate and eventually mm -hmm. break all the plates. And we don't want that to happen. So. Oh, and I mean, the concept that this makes me think of is that little things are really big things. And you know, most people, most people would think of your list of team members and say, Oh, bookkeepers at the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if the rubber doesn't meet the road in terms of the operations and you know, the flow of capital and the flow back of capital to your investors and into where it's appropriate. I mean, are you paying your bills appropriately? And are you, you know, are you making decisions that are appropriate based on real facts? So I could yeah. agree more. I think there's so much value in that. And you are, you're really more than an attorney. You're more than, you know, an SEC sort of facing attorney. So, I mean, how would you describe sort of being an advisor? I mean, how else do you advise your clients beyond sort of the construction and the operation of their team? So what I basically tell them is that you need to, if, you, if you're if you not good at something, hire somebody to do it for you because the time it will take you to learn how to do things is not worth it. So for example, like a lot of times what my clients will do is try to build their own website and that's just a waste of your time. If you're, if you're a, an amazing real estate entrepreneur, why are you spending time being a webmaster? Um, so find somebody to do it for you. Um, uh, but the, the big thing is, is that, look, you, you need to have a good outward facing, you know, image when you're out raising capital, and then you need to back it up with great systems. And so what do those systems include? A good database, an amazing bookkeeper, books and records, um, and a good investor relationship, um, model. And what I mean by that is right up front, you're going to tell the investors how you're going to report to them and then you're going to do it. 
So if you tell them, I'm going to report to you every quarter on the 15th day after the quarter ends, then you best do that. And tell, and, and just don't tell them what you're going to do. Tell them how you're going to do it. We're going to do it on Zoom. I'm going to get, and then I'll give you the recording when the Zoom call is over. Like, or I'm going to write it up and I'm going to distribute it. Or, you know, however it is, that's what you need to do. Or maybe you want to do it once a month. Once a month, we're going to do an investor call. That's when you can ask all your questions. We'll record them. We'll archive them. You can take, you can read, uh, listen to them anytime you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that, that's great. I think it, it does come down to communication. And one of the things just to highlight from what you said earlier, you know, folks who are, are getting perhaps heat from the SEC in different ways are folks who are, you know, they're not delivering on their promises, or they're not properly right. communicating, or you know, they're not doing what they said they were going to do. So I think there's a lot of value in that. It, let's talk about for uh, passive investors, you know, what are some tips that you would suggest for passive investors prior to executing a, you know, private placement memorandum? You know, how would you, how would you advise them legally? Uh, a big part of it would be just making sure, like the funny thing is, is and then this is probably advice you've never heard before. Um, the big part of it is to read the operating agreement um, before you read the PPM, because the operating agreement is actually the legal document that counts. And so you want to read the operating agreement and make sure it says what you've been told it should say. Um, I've actually found on more than one occasion operating agreements did, that didn't match the PPM at all. And, um, and that's unfortunate because then at the end of the day, most of the clients read the PPM and think like, oh, okay, this is what it is. I don't have to read the operating agreement. And then they don't read the operating agreement. And then they find out the hard truth later. Um, and why does this happen? Um, bad drafting on the part of an attorney uh, and then the issuer not reading it. I read an operating agreement. If I can share the story with you, please. I read a, a op- operating agreement one day uh, that said, you know, stuff, 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 stuff. And then in the definitions, it said something about like voting rights. And it said um, to, in order to make any major decision regarding the company, the company needs like two, it said something like you need like two thirds vote. And this person alone has two thirds vote and can make any of these decisions by themselves. Wow. No, I didn't even tell you the best part yet. That person, I was like, I don't remember reading that person's name even in the PPM. So they were referring that somebody other than the management of the company had complete and utter control over the company. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't a mistake. So you were going, what's that? <laughs> and it wasn't a mistake? I don't know what it was, but I just told the person, because this was a in situation where I was reviewing it for an investor, and I just told the investor, they didn't even take the time to read their own documents. Is this somebody you really want to invest with? Yeah. Yep. So even if it was just a mistake, that's a horrible mistake to have. There's one thing if you have, and, and trust me, I'm not perfect at drafting. Um, I'm not a robot. Um, sure. And, uh, and so, so sometimes there are errors uh, um, that are truly just, you know, errors. Like, so for example, you write 7% and then in parentheses, it says 8% or something to that effect. But if you know it says 7% throughout the whole thing and everywhere else it says 7%, you know what the right answer is. You know it's supposed to be 7%. But to have, you know, um, uh, you know, a different distribution schedule than the one that's in the PPM because it wasn't drafted the same could, could have serious tax consequences. Totally. Forget distribution consequences, maybe tax consequences. Maybe you get paid in a different order than you were expecting. Um, things like that. So you always want to start with reading the operating agreement and making sure that the operating agreement says what you've been told it should say. Yeah, I always recommend that passive investors, you know, I always think that the word passive is a little bit misleading because even if you're passive or a limited partner in a syndication, you should still take extreme ownership for the fact that you're agreeing to terms and you are, you know, really the master of your own capital. And so at the end of the day, you have to make decisions, you know, thoughtfully and you need to read the entire document. I, I love that reading, uh, you know, the, the length of the operating agreement and making sure that it matches up to the PPM. It seems basic, but most people probably don't do it. Um, so they don't I, even read the operating agreement most of the time. That's, right. that's how, that's why I give that advice. And the other thing is too, um, you know, like I, I just think 
it's hard. It's hard to go out there and know what's good and what isn't good. I'm dealing with a guy right now who invested a hundred thousand dollars with a gentleman who who had a slick, slick presentation, and him and his other friend, another investor, um, have now between the two of them invested two hundred fifty thousand dollars and can't get their get, get any calls returned, and that um, that's unfortunate, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, you want to just be really mindful, see what this person is doing, see if they have um, a track record and, um, you know, do do a quick background check. It never hurts to do a background check and see if uh, see if they have a lot of lawsuits in there or, or bankruptcies or anything in there in their past. That's another interesting one. Uh, most people don't do background checks on who they invest with. You know, mm -hmm. um, they take their word for it and obviously trust. I think people, you know, they obviously succeed in the long term by doing what they say they're going to do, but they can perhaps win in the short term by, you know, misleading people. So I do think it's interesting, but I also think it's, it's very fascinating that most people don't do a background check and, and learn more about who they're partnering with. Um, but with that said, I'd be curious to just, you know, switch gears just slightly, um, with regard to regulation a, you know, how has that experience been for you guys in, in comparison or maybe in contrast with, you know, doing a 506 C or B offering, um, just from your own legal perspective, as well as the issuer. So that's a great question. Um, I, I talk more people out of doing a regulation a than I talk them into it because, um, I feel like a lot of people who come to me to do a reggae and for those of your audience that doesn't know a reggae allows you to go out and raise capital from any investor up to $50 million. Um, and you can do general solicitation. So it's, it's basically a public offering. Um, and the reason why I talk more people out of it than talk them into it is because it is my experience that these, um, uh, issuers don't understand the type of investor they're dealing with. They're dealing with people who don't read. They, they really, really, really don't um, <laughs> read, you know, and they don't read and they don't listen and they hear what they want to hear. And, and that, that can even be true to, for accredited investors to a certain extent, but it usually isn't to the same extent as an unaccredited investor. And an unaccredited investor will be like, I invested 500 whole dollars with you and you haven't returned any of my phone calls. You know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know who else hasn't returned any of your phone calls when you invested $500? Amazon, yeah. Exxon, Microsoft, Apple. I mean, and they don't get that. They think you're different um, than those companies. Like they know they can't call those companies, but they can call you. So you need to just understand where your place is in this world, where your place is in the mind of investors. They, you know, and if you tell them uh, you're going to make 22% uh, on your money, they're, they don't, they don't understand. Maybe that 22% means over time. Mm -hmm. They think they mean they're supposed to get 22% on their money annualized basis or something, you know? So these are the things that you kind of got to be aware of when you're going into this, number one. And number two, um, you got to understand that you have a lot of obligations to the SEC and you're going to be under Microsoft by both investors and the SEC. And actually, not just by the two of them, but also the public at large. I mean, if we have learned anything from uh, this experience is that, you know, Grant Cardone, uh, who's definitely my biggest reggae client, has... Um, has really, you know, he doesn't want to do them anymore. Uh, it's that simple. Yeah. We did a third, we did two reggae's for him. They went well, and he started on a third one. And, and this is all public information. I'm not giving you yeah. any information that's not public. Uh, but you would give me the inside information if I really asked for it though, right? Off, yeah, off. Oh, absolutely, right. <laughs> so, like, so um, but the third, uh, the third one we submitted to the SEC, we we're in the process of getting it approved. And he called me and said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to deal with an accredited investors anymore. They're a pain in the ass. Um, and, you know, it's true. Like they, and he said, he said it publicly. You guys are driving me crazy. You know, <laughs> I have people making like videos about me talking about how I'm a terrible person and I'm losing everybody's money. I don't, I don't need to do that. I don't need to deal with that. I'll deal with my accredited investors who write me checks for a hundred thousand dollars and don't give me any grief. You know, I'd rather do that. Um, so, uh, you know, and he's taken a lot of risks. Um, but another client I had, um, a while ago, uh, Tulsa real estate fund, same thing. They came out with this big offering. They were taking investments as little as $500. 
And those are the investors who were giving him the hardest time. So, you know, uh, you just got to be aware of what you're walking into. Now, if you look at companies like Fundrise, Realty Mobile, um, they've had great success with reggae. I've had other clients, I, and by the way, Grant Cardone had great success with reggae. He raised, I mean, he's closing in on $100 million right now under Regulation A. So uh, it's, it, is, it can be a good, it can be a blessing and a curse, as, as they say, and I continue to do them. I have um, two biotech companies that I'm coming out with this week. I have another real estate fund that I'm coming out with next week. Um, I have another fund called Own Our Own Fund, which I think is going to be incredibly successful. That's that's the one with David Gross and um, Nipsey Hussle's former partner. And that that's all about the community investing in its own communities. So I do think it's a good thing. And I think reggae is a very positive thing from the perspective, like now we can all get in on the ground floor of these deals. But as an issuer, as an issuer, you need to go in, eyes wide open, know what you're getting into, understand what the risks are, understand what the rewards are before you do a regulation act. Are you someone who's seriously looking to elevate your life, your business, your real estate portfolio, your cash flow, your deal opportunities, your access to opportunities, your network this year? Well, if that's you, then I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com because I'm currently opening up a few coaching spots for people like you who want to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be and really, you know, expand that beyond your wildest dreams and explode your business, explode your deal opportunities, explode your vision for what you're looking to create. If that's you, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. I really have to tell you that this is not for everyone. This is only for those who are decisive. They're committed. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to invest time, energy, and resources into themselves to get to where they want to be and to live a life without limits, to elevate to a life without limits, which is really what we're all about on this show. If that is you, again, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com. Yeah, no, that's that's super valuable. I appreciate you sharing that. I appreciate you giving us a look behind the curtain there. I think it's always important for folks to just to consider what are all the pros and cons and prioritize yeah. those pros and cons. You know, does what does this make sense for the outcome of what you're looking to accomplish and make your decision based on that. But it's also great to to learn from, you know, the pros and cons of other people's experiences, which is the great part of, you know, a podcast like this is because we can learn, hey, what did Grant Cardone, what did he love about the reggae and, and what did he hate about it? And uh, right. what can we avoid ourselves? So thank you for sharing that, Jillian. I wanted to transition just a little bit yourself. You know, obviously Elevate's all about, you know, obviously growing a portfolio in real estate, you know, because of the fact that it can give you anything you want practically. As we kind of started our discussion, you had some practical, you know, challenges that you encountered on your road to your, you know, music career, passionate, you know, career there. But obviously you transitioned in, in serving in terms of, you know, the practical side of things in terms of real estate and what that vehicle can do for people. But beyond that, it is about personal growth and investing in yourself and creating sort of, you know, the vehicle of yourself to become the higher version of, of, of that. So I'd love to know, you know, how are you investing in yourself these days? How are you improving your own skills and your own mindset and, and all of that? So one of the things I love doing, and I haven't been able to do it since COVID broke out, I'm hoping to go back to doing it um, here over the summer, was I, I volunteered at the food pantry every week. Um, and I loved, I just loved doing that. It was, it was, like the best job. Uh, I, you know, just go over there once a week and I was, so I would cook. Um, and the thing about food pantry cooking is you have to deal with whatever you have. So it was like a little adventure every week. I'd get, I'd get in and go, what do we have this week? Oh, we have a bunch of frozen chicken. It's chicken stew. Uh, oh, we have a bunch of eggs. Okay. We're going to have um, some kind of breakfast thing. Oh, we have, you know, ground beef. I'll make chopped suey, like stuff like that. So that was just, um, um, it just brought me such joy to be perfectly honest was doing that. Uh, and then um, I also have another podcast called last life ever, um, which is totally outside of real estate. And it's myself and another lawyer who just talked to people who are doing interesting things. Um, they may be extraordinary people doing interesting things. They may be very ordinary people doing interesting things, but it's just interesting things that can make you have the best possible version of your life, whatever that may be. People who are adopting kids, how did they adopt kids? How did they get kids out of the foster care system? People who traveled around the world with their children, 
people who are, I'm talking about children, but that's not all we talk about home. Cause my, my partner doesn't even have kids. So he'd be like, why are you talking about all the kids, things with kids? Um, how to homeschool. We, our guest last week was like, cause we're having all these challenges with distance learning now. Right. So how to homeschool your children. Um, uh, we also had, uh, our, our guest on Monday is a futurologist who talks about wow. what the future holds for us, not from a psychic point of view, but from a data science. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's actually a PhD, so we're gonna be talking to him on Monday. We had um, Nikki Gumbel, who is a big evangelical, um, pre- he's, he's not actually so much of an evangelist, but he runs the um, he runs a program called the Alpha Program, which is the first is the first introduction for people who've never heard of Christ before. And and the reason why we interviewed him is not because we're a religious program, but because he was a lawyer. His whole family was lawyers. He was Jewish. He went to college in Cambridge, England, and read the New Testament and said, oh, this is the way, and left, abandoned his life as a lawyer, abandoned his life as he was an atheist, even though he's raised Jewish, he was an atheist, wow. abandoned his life as an atheist and started a program that is now in prisons across the world, introducing people to Christ. Um, things like that, just people who are doing extraordinary things, whether you're religious or not, that's not the point. Uh, the point is like, how do you make these major changes? How do you make these major decisions and go and do um, something different in your life? And so those, those are the things that, you know, the law firm supports that joy. Um, and the yeah. joy I get out of the law firm is uh, helping entrepreneurs build their business. I'm not doing family law where people are getting divorces and fighting over kids. I'm not doing criminal law where people are desperately trying to save people from a, a prison situation. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not dealing with business litigation where, where business partners are fighting or personal injury where somebody's hurt and has to fight for their rights to, to get paid um, for that injury. So I have the best possible law. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You really do. Well, and you're, you're, so. you're surrounding yourself with inspiration, not only in what you do, you know, for your business, but then also in other ways. And it really just shines through you because you show up with so much joy and so much energy and so much fun and so much happiness. So, you know, one of the things that we kind of started our discussion you know, prior to starting this recording was gratitude. And that was one of the things that you were just feeling a depth of gratitude, you know, with all of the things that you've experienced recently. And, and it's my feeling that the state of gratitude is the state of receivership as well. And it seems like, you know, that's something that's compounded for you. I mean, what else would you say has contributed to just your joy and how you show up with so much happiness and energy and everything that you do in your life? I have a great family. Um, you know, the, the thing is like, and I, I'm going to share something else that's like super personal, um, that I, I had two kids who got COVID and that has, that in a lot of ways has sucked the life out of, um, me. But the things that I focused on during this time is I live in the United States. Um, I live in a very nice home. I have money. Um, and they're not dead. Like, I mean, like, I I hate to put it that bluntly, but it's true. Like there's other people whose kids who've been on ventilators or they got the inflammation syndrome where they had to go to the hospital and, you know, had all kinds of issues. And, um, and I didn't have any of those issues. I had to take my, 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 um, my 12 year old to the emergency room a couple of times because he couldn't breathe or whatever, but we got through, he didn't get, he didn't get admitted. You know, so you just kind of look at gratitude from the point of like, well, this could be way worse. This could be, you know, you know, really terrible. Um, and, 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 and it's not, and it's not, and there's a way every, everything's, you know, there's a, a woman named uh, Marie Forleo who spoke at the 10 X conference. I'd never heard of her before. And one of the things she said is everything's figure outable. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. and that is so true. Uh, and a lot, especially if you live in the United States, if you, um, and I don't want to turn this into a rah, rah, I'm proud to be an American thing, but there is something to be said about living in the U S and the availability of, um, be the, the, not just the availability, but the ability to be an entrepreneur to, to find, to, to trail it, to blaze your own path 
and your own trail um, to success. Um, and and most problems, if you put enough effort into it, you can figure it out and you can solve that problem. That's so true. And it's it's one of my mantras that I you know, follow so deeply in my life is that where focus goes, energy flows. And, you know, I know that's true because that's when, awesome. I focus, when I focus on my problems, I get more problems. But when I focus yeah. on, you know what, there's opportunities here. Maybe there's a lesson. Maybe there's something that I'm becoming through this challenge. Or, you know what, also, wow, wait a minute, I have all these great things. I have the opportunity to, you know, to speak with you and to speak with our listeners today. And, you know, how many other great things we have? I've got a great, you know, a cup of water here. You know, it's amazing. All <laughs> the great things that we have when we start to focus on the good in our life and, and what more good can come to us when we do that. And the energy that we bring, I, I believe is what really kind of sets us up for that. And so I appreciate that. And, um, you know, the other thing that I think is so important is to, you know, we talked earlier about mindset and you talked about your, you know, previous poverty mindset and now, you know, where you live in abundance in terms of how you show up. I'd be curious to know how else are you using your own mind, your own psychology, maybe even to consciously set up habits in your life or in your business that have served you and compounded on themselves? Can I tell you, I got to be perfectly honest, my habits right now are the worst. <laughs> so if anybody out there wants to like life coach me into better habits, I, before COVID, I had amazing, great life habits. And I don't know, I just can't get back into that group. So um, maybe we can all get a little support group going together. But uh, my habits are the worst. I was getting <laughs> up every morning and going and uh, working out. Um, you know, now the gym's closed. And yes, I could run outside or I could get on my exercise bike that I bought during COVID and have been on twice. <laughs> but, but I just haven't done it. So, um, you know, actually, you know, if anybody wants to coach me through that. I am, I'm opening that door. Um, but I, you know, so, like one of the big habits though, that I have developed during COVID that I am very proud of is just being really trying really hard to be attentive to somebody's like, uh, and maybe this isn't the greatest habit actually. And I, I got to manage it better, but really trying to be like, okay, this person wrote me an email there and I get a ton of email. So this is where it becomes difficult. Um, this person wrote me an email and they're expecting a response, you know, and I want to respond to them right now, right away, get in front of them and let them know that I, even if it's like your email's really long, but I totally intend to get back to you on this so <laughs> that, you know, they feel like I'm touching them, I'm reaching out to them. And I usually, what I try to do now, and, and, and some of you out there might judge this as a bad use of resources, but I copy somebody else in my office on that email so that they can hold me accountable to make sure I get per, pat, uh, back to that person. And so what's really the moral of the story? Because maybe you're not overwhelmed with emails like I am. The moral of the story is getting somebody who's accountable, who holds you accountable rather. Yeah. Um, so that's what I've created is I've created this system where I have another human being holding me accountable for my actions in regards to these clients. So now I got to get somebody to hold me accountable, have accountability partner when it comes to working out accountability partner, when it comes to eating better accountability partner, when it comes to doing, you know, other things. And I think that's a, that's yep. a huge way to, if you want to establish a great habit, that's, that's one way to do it. No, I, I could not agree more. I mean, I, I know myself, you know, when the path, you know, when, when challenges come my way, when my path gets a little rocky, you know, the path of least resistance then kicks in. It's like, you know what, I, I don't, I don't want to go over that. So who's going to hold me accountable? Who's going to remind me what I committed myself to? So whether, yeah. whether you invest in coaching, whether you have a colleague, whether you share your intentions with someone else and they can just check in with you, you know, on a, on a weekly or, or however long basis, or, you know, if you've got a problem with email, you know, copy somebody else so they can call you out and say, look, you have not responded here yet. Uh, because we all know it's, it's about communication. It's about, you know, connecting and, and collaborating with others, especially in real estate. So I appreciate that. I also appreciate just how, how real you are. And it's like, Hey, I, I haven't, I haven't been great on my, uh, on my habits. And I think we all have to admit that at time, from time to time, 
we're not machines. You know, we can't yeah. just be perfect 100% of the time. So we ebb and flow and we're aware of it. And then we, you know, we try to do better next time. So I think there's a lot of value in that. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners can relate to that. You know, many of us fall off the wagon, so to speak, in different areas. But what can we do to pick ourselves up and say, you know what, I'm focusing now on the future and I'm not dwelling on the past or whatever that may be. So I love that. And uh, Jillian, I'd be surprised or not surprised. I'd be interested to know, you know, what are you most excited about these days? What, what's really kind of getting you jazzed up these days? Um, I'm very much looking forward to the summer. Um, you know, I'm, I, and I, I gotta say that, uh, you know, my kids and I had all kinds of plans for the summer um, and, you know, including travel and Boy Scout things, all those things have been canceled. And so the reason why I'm excited about the summer, despite all those exciting things we were supposed to do, is it's giving us an opportunity to start with a clean slate. We have no obligations, right? We had an obligation to travel, to visit family. We don't have that obligation anymore. Um, although I really wanted to do that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to Pollyanna this. So give me a minute. <laughs> um, we had, my boys had an obligation to go to boy scout camp, which again, they really, really want, we all really wanted them to do that. Um, but now we don't have any of those obligations. So we can, we can, we can start over and say, okay, what were things we would have done that we can still do? that we couldn't do because those obligations were in place. So that's kind of what, you know, that it's kind of exciting. We can kind of figure those, those things out now. And, uh, and my kids really, um, and I'm, 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 I'm grateful for those obligations being removed, even though we really wanted to do them. And here's yeah. why my kids missed a ton of school because of COVID because of their personal struggles with being ill. Um, you know, my 12 year old's, for all intents and purposes, failed sixth grade. Um, they can't fail them, but he did. I mean, he didn't, he didn't finish the work. He was sick. So, um, so now because we don't have those obligations, we can make a plan and in a relaxed manner, get him through sixth grade. So that's awesome. I think that's a great opportunity to kind of really spend time with him and, and get, get where he needs to be. Well, I mean, that just goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's like where focus goes, energy flows. I mean, we could say, man, we had all these opportunities to go to Boy Scouts and to go visit family and all these things. Or we could say, okay, well, you know, maybe those opportunities will exist again in the future. But this also gives us a new opportunity now to create something yeah. new um, and something that may have not existed before. So is there anything that's kind of filled that vacuum for you guys that uh, is really kind of getting you excited? Yeah, I don't want to tell too many people because I don't want there to be a rush on doing this. But as you, as you may or may not know, a lot of the national parks are slowly starting to open. So one of our plans is to drive to a couple of the national parks, um, which was a plan we had for next summer. And now we're just accelerating that plan, um, which I'm, I'm, really, I'm really happy about, quite frankly, because now there's no fear of like, oh, we're driving to national parks, so we're missing this other thing over here. Like, we're missing nothing we can make our, we can forge our own path. Uh, so that, that's, that's what we're going to do. And the excitement of trying to figure out like a lesson plan from, for my son and, and get him a tutor, you know, somebody, he gets to choose who his teacher is this summer. Cause I'm looking for a young, younger person who he kind of relates to. And I think this is a great opportunity for everybody. You know, like I really do. I think there's a lot of opportunity here. A, 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 people might not share that thought and I get it. And, I get it, but I'm just, that's, that's the way I'm choosing to look at it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I know that the system that you've created through your company and, and all the, you know, all of the clients that you serve has created the opportunity for you to, you know, make these type of choices and make these type yeah. of decisions. Um, you know, what, what would you say if you had to distill it all down to maybe one sort of overall arching thought, I mean, what is the driving force behind what you do? Um, oh, the kid, my kids, for sure. The, if you know, like I, I want a life for them that is full of opportunity, um, and then I want them to check, pick whatever opportunity they want. You know, um, I, I grew up in a very, um, I wouldn't say privileged manner, very middle class manner, but there were just certain expectations um, that. 
Uh, I don't want to put, I want to give my kids all the opportunities and by working and creating a life that is financially set, um, I can not spoil them, just say, look, like my oldest son wants to be a stand-up comedian. That's the thing he's always said he's wanted to do. Um, And I give him a lot of reality checks on that often. Like, for example, Tyler, you need to learn how to write. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you got to know how to write. Um, But at the same time, I don't discourage that dream of wanting to be a stand-up comedian. You know, Mm -hmm. so it's really, really, I do what I do so I can give them the opportunities to do what they want to do in the future. That's amazing. Yeah, what a legacy to leave and and what a life to lead. So uh, I want to transition into our rapid fire section. Uh, We call it the rare air questionnaire. It's all about pushing the limits and raising the bar so that you can continue to live a life that has no limits and continue to make choices when there's an opportunity to make a new choice and to live a life of adventure, you know, such as what you're doing. So uh, I'd love to ask you just a few questions here. If you had to point to, you know, two or three of the most impactful books that you've read, what would those be and why? Okay. Uh, one book I've, I listen to on Audible and I almost listen to anytime I can't sleep, I just put it on because uh, Eckhart Tolle's voice is so soothing. I read The Power of Now. The Power of Now will change your perspective on everything. The Power of Now has gotten me through some of the worst, in my perception, the worst times in my life. And it continues to, to I can't say enough good things about that book. Um, so, and then a book I just love uh, is the, uh, probably my favorite book of all time is Account of Monte Cristo about a guy who could have gotten the worst, could have just gone and, you know, set fire to people's houses and had the worst revenge. And instead his revenge was living a, 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 a life full of wealth, both with people and in, in money. So um, Count of Monte Cristo, don't read the abridged version, read the full 1300 pages, it will be well worth it. Wow, that's then, awesome. Yeah. And then of course, the Bible. But <laughs> the Bible, I always feel like you got to get some guidance on that one. So <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot, lot to digest there. And uh, no, thank you for that. We'll put links in the show notes to those books there. I just always think there's so much value in investing in your own mind, investing in your own psychology, and changing the way that you think and being open to changing the way that you think. You know, I know one example, when I read The Power of Now, like you, it was like, wow, I needed to really, you know, question a lot of, you know, the approaches that I had, you know, from a from a mindful perspective. And so um, I just think there's so much value in learning and continuing to grow and update your thinking. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, Aside from our discussion that we've had today, what would you say is the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Uh, Truth be told, and this has only been since COVID, I do, oh gosh, and I don't don't even know where I put it, but I'll show you this. Oh no, it's right here. I do the rosary every day. I'm, I'm Catholic, so. (laughs) <laughs> and so some of you are going to be like, what? Okay. I just tuned out, but, <laughs> but um, I do the rosary every day. I actually do it with a group of ladies at seven thirty in the morning. Every day we do the rosary. Um, it just sets a tone for the rest of my day. I don't think you necessarily have to do the rosary, but meditating um, is, it, this is a form of meditation. That's all this is. So you can do any kind of meditation. Um, and I think that will set a tone for the rest of your day. What I used to do before I did the rosary every day pre COVID is my kids and I would drive to a lake that was on the way to their school. And we would sit there and do transcendental meditation and then a little prayer prior to driving them off to school. So, um, if you don't know what transcendental meditation is, it's what all like a lot of the celebrities do. Um, but I find it to be very useful. You just get a mantra, you sit there for 10 to 20 minutes and you just think of the mantra over and over and over again while you're, you know, breathing, you're mindfully breathing. Um, and, and that will set your mind right for the rest of the day. That's awesome. That's really cool that you sh- uh, share that with your kids as well. And uh, that sounds like an amazing experience. So something that maybe a lot of us can apply to our own lives. Uh, really appreciate you sharing that. And obviously you do so much to really elevate others around you, but I would be curious to know beyond what we've already talked about today, what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? 
Um, a huge part of it is just like, particularly with my employees is to listening. Um, I, I try to be very mindful and listen to what their needs are as, and, and I work with a bunch of moms, right? So all of us, they have needs because their kids have needs. So I try to be a little um, mindful of that so that they can do the best that they can do at their job by being mindful of what their needs are. So for example, um, you know, Nancy, it, it, Nancy's a perfect example. And she's my partner, so she, she doesn't even fall into the same category as everybody else. But um, Nancy, like the other day, was like, I need to take my kids boating, There's, you know, on Wednesday. And um, I never, I never question, you know, I need to take my kids boating because here's exactly what happened when she told me that on, on Tuesday, I need to take my kids boating tomorrow. They need to get out of the house. They need to go do something. We need, we need, we need, we need. And I'm hearing this and I'm like, okay, great. I'll see you later. And Tuesday night, I'm getting emails from her at 11, 17 at night because you know, I knew she knew that I knew I wasn't going to bother her while she was going to go boating, but she didn't want to leave anything undone. And I think if you, that speaks to her personality more than it speaks to me, but you kind of just like let open the door for people to, to, to get those things done um, so that they can be the best version of themselves um, in, in other places like at work. Um, so I, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, Stephen Covey's advice in um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Is that what it's called? I hope that's, yep. I got the name right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, first, um, seek to understand um, understand before un being understood. I, yep. That's not, I just butchered that. <laughs> you're looking to understand before you're trying to get understood yourself is the bottom yes. line. Yes. And it's amazing the culture that is created from that because most people want to still do a great job if they have the opportunity to go take their kids boating on a Wednesday. It's not that they want to cut out and play hooky and, you know, ruin the business. It's like sometimes you just need those things. So the understanding yeah. creates so much more enthusiasm to produce excellence. And Exactly. Oh, no, absolutely. And, and, and I will say my team now – wants to be more excellent than ever. And so you like, uh, if, if you have an employee who's having a moment, you, under, yeah, you don't, you don't give them, you know, the whole rope so that you can't see them anymore because they ran with the ropes. <laughs> but, but, um, you do, you, you give people, you give people enough trust to say, look, I'm trusting you with this, but under, it, but give them parameters. I'm trusting you with this. I understand you need this. I'm hearing what you're saying, but here's what I need. And, and as long as you have that understanding, we'll be cool. And that has worked out incredible, especially in the last, um, in the last couple of months of COVID where everybody has to be trusted to work at home and get their work done and things like that. As a matter of fact, uh, we were talking beforehand, I'm seeing more productivity now from my team um, than ever before. Yes. No, that's so that's huge. And, you know, I've noticed the same and I think it, it really allows people to shine in their excellent work when you don't have to cloud it with the unnecessary meetings or the unnecessary discussion or the unnecessary distractions sometimes of working in an office. So I do think it's really interesting how that. Yeah, it's, it's funny. And it's so funny because I actually got this book off Audible. As you can tell, I'm into Audible. Uh, yeah. Like, I got this book. I'm looking it up for you. I got this book off Audible, and I started listening to it because one of my recommended Audible books. And um, I started reading it, and I didn't know who the author was. And it was read by a woman. And I didn't realize it until after I had read the book that this book is actually a Franklin Covey uh, – sorry, not Franklin Covey, Stephen Covey book as well. And what is it called? Multipliers. Mm. Multiplier. So if you guys have a team or you're looking to, to um, build your, you elevate other people, the book Multipliers by Stephen Covey is an excellent book to kind of help you in that, um, in, in, in figuring, figuring out how to do that. Yes. How to multiply each other, you know, how do yeah. we rub off on each other to, you know, create more and, and create more abundance, you know, as we were talking earlier about mindset and psychology and, you know, all of this compounds on itself. So I think there's a ton of value in that. And thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. Um, wow. Jillian, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, do you have oh, any good. sort of parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you share with Elevate Nation today? Uh, no, no, I actually, I just want anybody who, you know, is, 
enjoyed this to reach feel free to reach out to me especially on facebook i'm a huge facebooker um i bought i bought the into the ipo of facebook when everybody told me i shouldn't and now i feel <laughs> obligated to the company so that's my story and i'm sticking to it <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome and how, how can the listeners um you know stay engaged with you beyond facebook um, you can just go to our website, Crowdfunding Lawyers, uh, or you can email me. But honestly, like if you want to get real response, uh, you know, Facebook Messenger is a great way to do it because it pops right up on my phone and it pops up on my computer. Unlike text messages, which is only on my phone, or other communications, which might only be on my computer. So that's awesome. We'll put uh, we'll put links in the show notes to Jillian everywhere she is, which she's all over the place. But as you can tell, she's awesome. She's you know, Thank genuine, you. she's herself and she's providing a lot of value to, you know, real estate syndicators, uh, fund managers, you know, uh, crowdfunding platform. So definitely want to reach out to her there and, and engage with her otherwise. But I know that you do have a special offer for the listeners as well regarding oh, yeah. the book, right? I'm going to give you, yeah, I'm going to give you guys all a free copy of my book. All you have to do is go to bit.ly. You guys know those bit.ly links. Yep. So bit B-I-T dot L-Y slash Jillian Sudoti book. And that will give you a free copy of my book, Crowdfunding Myth. It's a little old. I want to be honest with you. Uh, so <laughs> Um, let's, uh, but go ahead, take a look at it, see what you think. And, um, and if you like it, do me a huge favor and write a review on Amazon. Absolutely. So we'll put that link also in the show notes and, um, I encourage you to re-listen to the show. If you, uh, found a lot of value from this, you may be surprised to know that if you re-listen to the show, you're going to learn something new and there's going to be some sort of nugget of wisdom that you can apply to your life. And in fact, I would imagine there's at least three. So what can you do to distill down your top three key distinctions, your top three, you know, takeaways, and what can you do to share that with someone else? Because it is about paying it forward. It is about sharing opportunities, sharing abundance, because when we share opportunities, you know, everything increases not only for us, but for other people. And, and that's how you create joy. That's how you create lasting, limitless life. And, uh, you know, with that said, at the end of the day, it is about taking action. So take action on what you learned immediately. But until next time, Jillian, thank you so much for being on the show. And Elevate Nation, we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.